millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the Rocker Report. You're joining us now after a draw with QPR. Fantastic news. Always great news for a Sunderland fan. Hopefully you don't tune into this to find out what the scores are. Should we be seriously depressed? I'm joined by Gav. How you doing, buddy? I'm not bad, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. A bit shabby. A bit shabby. A bit worse for wear this weekend because I, in typical fashion, celebrated Sunderland's uh, point. <laughs> and now I'm still recovering. James, how you doing? <laughs> I'm all right, mate. I, uh, I celebrated in typical style as well. Um, home record's still intact, isn't it? Yeah, that's what we need. I mean, I've got a running bet going at the moment with uh, Gavin Walshie. Walshie's not here today, but yeah, that we're not going to win a game until January. So last night I'm sitting watching the match like, really shitting my pants, really. So I, mean, I, don't know, I can't afford to lose 20 quid right now. I should have made the bet different so that somehow I got paid before January. Either way, I mean, 20 quid's not that much to pay for, just for a win from Sunderland. But without further ado, what do you make of the match against QPR, Gav? I think it was a, a poor result. I mean, I know Simon Grayson after the game spoke some of the some of the stuff he came out with. I mean, was a bit baffling. I felt like he watched a different game to me. Um, I, I personally thought it was another poor result. I thought, much like the Preston game, it took a bit of individual brilliance from McGee to save us. And if it wasn't for him, we'd be sat here now talking about you know another defeat against a poor side, which is what mm-hmm. QPR are. The the QPR fan that we, we spoke to in fan focus this week on the site mentioned that you know this this league is much of a muchness. Every team is pretty much the same. There's not a lot of quality there, and the majority of teams you come up against really it's you're facing the same type of side, functional players who who the capable of harmony on a good day, but most most of the time it's just a, you're playing very average teams, and I, I think we're starting to notice that more and more every week. And I think it's those type of teams that we actually struggle against. Like. I think when it comes to playing against mm. the, the perceived bigger side, we might do all right. But like the likes of QPR, they know exactly how to come and play against us. And it was it was clear from the off, really, uh, they were here to frustrate us. They sat deep, played with very little width. But I mean, when they when they got the chance, it was it was just such an easy goal, and mm. it was coming because I, I turned around to my dad and I said, "If you notice how small we look today, there was only John O'Shea, John O'Shea on the pitch with any height. Every other player on the park was less than six foot, I'd say, other than the goalkeeper." And it was a matter of time before one of those corners was converted, and you know the big lad up front put the ball away, and it was just such a. It, we are we are so easy to play against. It's 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 almost becoming. Uh, I don't think it's embarrassing anymore. I just think it's. I'm becoming apathetic to it all, really. And Ian Holloway spoke after the game about the performance and said, "You know how to come and play against someone because it, it's fairly easy to work out. You frustrate them early doors, 
score and just let the crowd do the rest of the work. And that's what happened, really. You know, once we went 1-0 down, everybody was on the backs of the players, which is understandable because it's been so long since we've had a home win. And QPR just, mm. you know, their game plan was executed perfectly, really. It was it was a piece of individual brilliance, which saved our skins. Then reading what Grayson's got to say after the game, talking about how, you know, he's got to credit the players for the performance. And I'm just thinking, you know, what you want to do is you want to thank Aidan McGeady for pulling out the shit again because you wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for him. Yeah. Because that's literally the case, yeah. you know. It, <laughs> Absolutely, it, it's it's becoming it's becoming comical. The team selection, I mean, so many holes to poke through. That there's what more starting. I mean, me and you had a, we we did a debate on the site about starting what more. I didn't think that was the right idea because I thought the most effective part of the game he wasn't on the pitch for. I think if mm. he'd been coming on for the last half an hour against a tired side, that's when you're going to get the best out of Duncan Watmore. And instead, we started by half time. He was knackered. He come back out after the break. Yeah. And he, and he was you, you could tell he was he'd given his all in that first forty five and, and obviously came to nothing. I didn't understand playing Billy Jones centre half. I mean I think it's clear he doesn't rate Tom Beadlin or he would have played. I mean I know he's been keen to give Gucci and Honeyman that chance this season, but you know, very, very reluctant to give a chance to a young defender, and that's what I would have done. I would have played an actual centre half at centre half because Billy Jones is a poor right back. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just playing people out of position. I don't understand it. I didn't I didn't I understand like it I didn't understand playing playing Honeyman again. I think I like George Honeyman, but I just thought when you look at the bench and you look at players like McManaman and Williams on the bench, why aren't they starting? Um, so there's there's so mm. much we can we, I'm sure we'll go over the lot, yeah, but there's so much that you could poke out there and just Grayson every week's doing things which I just don't understand and he's very lucky. I think he's very under very little pressure for his job when he should be, really, because it's been so long since we won a game. But we haven't looked like winning in ages, never mind actually, you know, scraping a win. We just haven't looked at a decent side. And then you look at the team we're putting out and you're thinking that should be beating teams like QPR at home. But not at one point in that game over the 90 minutes did I feel, you know, like we'll look capable of it. And it's just becoming it's becoming a bit of a joke now, really, coming on here and we're moaning about it every week and there's nothing we can do about it. But the guy's got to He's got to really step up against Brentford. If we're losing, if we're losing, then we we'll go against Bolton and can't get three points out of one of those games. He's got to go for me. Mm, fair enough. Well, you've raised some very valid points there. I mean, something I would like to we'll, we'll talk about most of them for like in the duration of the show. But something I would like to talk about is what you're saying about the quality of opposition we're coming up against, and that is, yeah, as you say, it's notably poor opposition. It's they're mediocre teams that we're we're struggling against. And that's that's a real shame. That's the, the double tragedy of this relegation, especially when you consider some of the names that we've got with us now that we would have had years ago that would have actually done really well for us, like McGeady, McManaman, players like that. Particularly with against against a team like QPR who've been struggling for a long time. Very similar to us in many ways, I think, financially certainly. They've had some real problems. They sank a lot of money into their squad before they unlike us, before they were relegated inevitably. I'm, I'm sure their fans feel like they should be in the Premier League. But it is interesting that we've come into this league now and all we needed was essentially, I mean, I was looking at our squad, our lineup from um, the last time we played QPR and the difference was shocking i mean we had some proper terrible players in the team but in reality we had some we had a much better squad a much stronger squad and i'm just thinking it, it's sad to see that that we're coming up against these teams that before the start of the season we would have said oh, they, these games are winnable and now we we can't see a single sniff of a win i completely agree with that i concur with most of what you said what about you james what did you make of the game it was boring Boring. <laughs> that's it it was <laughs> end of discussion now it was just I, 
I just thought we didn't look like we created anything. If I, if I'm honest, I'm one of the more positive fans on here, as you know. But I thought we should have been beaten. I thought I, I honestly thought they they had a 15, 20 minute spell in the second half where a better side would have taken would have absolutely taken us apart. Mm. You know, they had some really good opportunities. We looked completely at sea uh, in that second half at times. I just we just lumping the ball up. There didn't seem to be any pattern to play. I mean, Lee Catamol's absolutely dire. Like he's an absolute plodder. I'm sorry, he's he looks finished to me. Like he really does. He looked like he was running through hummus at times. You know, he was just so slow. I think there's a moment in the first half. He, I think he gets to a tackle about. It feels like 30 seconds too late. You know, he's that slow. Um, as Gav mentioned, there, you, you, you get you get a different breed of of pundit on this show. So it's not it's not running through water, running through mud, it's running through hummus. <laughs> It's running through hummus, guys. It is delicious. What's he going to say? What is he, what's he going to dip his carrot sticks in? No, sorry, Karen. <laughs> um, as Gav said earlier, it's just the, the team selection was was poor. I mean, Callum McManaman, I've said in previous shows, I think is you know arguably our best player. You know, him and McGeady probably didn't play. You've got Watmore, who isn't fully fit. You know, I'd, I'd, I mean, it's great to see Duncan Watmore starting, but you know, he shouldn't be there just yet. Johnny Williams has got to start. Soon as he, soon, to be honest, as soon as he came on, he looked to move the ball forward, and we did look a bit, bit more threatening. Billy Jones has sent half. I mean, what's, what's going on there? It's, I just, I'm desperate, you know, to, to find positives and to stick by the manager. But you know, he's giving me like, he's not giving me much to work with here. <laughs> yeah, know, it, yeah. It, it, it was so, it was so poor. I thought. I think if you can't beat a team like QPR at home, we're in trouble. We really are. But the problem that the problem then we have is if you get rid of him, no one's going to bloody want to, want to come here anyway because any manager that comes in is thinking, well, you know, the, the owner wants to sell the club, and then that manager might be out of a job within three months when we get a new owner. So mm. we're just we're just stuck with him. We just have to hope that you know, given time, he can turn this round. But QPR on Saturday was, I thought it was, I thought it was absolute dross. It was dire. It was dire. I mean, there were. Interestingly enough, there were some moments in that game where the team, our team, seemed to seemed to be gelling, you know, and it seemed for at least five, ten minutes of that match that the international break had actually done some good. That time on the training ground with with um, Grayson it seemed like he gave them some sort of cohesion that they've been sorely lacking for a long time now, and that was that was what was tragic about it. I mean, as already mentioned, the goal that we got it was a piece of individual brilliance from McGeady. Something he was even complimented for by the opposition, I believe, post-match. But it's obviously something we can't keep relying on. We can't rely purely on McGeady, who's, what, 31? He's obviously come, he's in the twilight of his career. He's come here to get more game time. Hopefully we'll see him perform admirably for the next couple of years, regardless of where we are. But even that, when you're talking about players like McGeady, I mean, come January... We've spoken about this before. He's going to be looking for a way out, surely, because I would be. I, I absolutely would be. Every single one of them was looking at their agent and thinking, just get me out of here. Because that's what it looked like. So I, every, every other club is going to be looking at Sunderland for anything they've got. Like vultures picking around a corpse. And this, you're going to find like the juiciest thing there, and then you're going to fuck off while it's all dead and bones. That's a really depressing way to talk about it, but that's the way it feels, isn't it? And like you're saying about... Grayson, getting rid of him? There's no chance. There's no chance of us getting rid of Simon Grayson. We haven't got the money to pay off Simon Grayson. We haven't got the money to hire a new manager. We haven't got the funds to attract a new manager. We haven't got the squad to attract a new manager. We haven't got the owner to attract a new manager. There is nothing about Sunderland that's appealing. 
So we're stuck with this very much a journeyman manager because there was a lot of debate over whether or not that's what we needed. And there are still a lot of people who are behind Grayson. I'll give him time. He needs time. He needs time. That may very well be the case. He might need time. What we shouldn't have to accept is two, three years while a bog standard manager sorts out a terrible team with no money. You know, that that's something that we as fans should have a problem with. So it's not so much about, I mean, someone said to us about um, almost instant gratification, whether it was a generational thing. I don't think it is a generational thing. I think that we've come to expect, reasonably expect some degree of success. And when success isn't there, we've come to expect some sort of contingency plan, some sort of fallback. But this is just backs to the wall like Sunderland fighting the world and losing terribly, losing and losing this fight. But I mean, tactically, let's move on before I get any more depressed. Tactically, it was an interesting lineup. Another, as we've said again, another switcheroo from Grayson playing Jones at centre half. I mean, we'll we'll focus on that just now, Gav. The tactics, mate. What have yeah. We? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I, I've said this a few times, but I think the way we set up shows that he doesn't have a lot of confidence in himself or his players, really. Starting a home game with two holding midfielders who have shown time and time again they can't play together uh, baffles me, especially when you've got Johnny Williams sat on the bench. I just thought that in a game we needed to win against pretty poor opposition, it made more sense really to maybe drop Catamore, bring Williams in alongside and Dong, and then see if we can maybe play on the front foot, you know, because with Williams in the midfield, he doesn't just offer us leadership, which I think he does. I mean, we saw him you know, the way, the way he was with Adam Matthews when he was getting a bit stick off the crowd and stuff, I thought it was brilliant, to be honest. But it wasn't until Williams came on that we looked like we're, we were going to do something. And I just wonder why he doesn't trust him to play in there alongside Dong. I think if we did, we'd have two players that perfectly complement each other. One that's got plenty of energy, wins the ball back, and another who is full of energy but can actually play a forward pass. I just think... Against the poor side, you've got to go for it, especially when you need to win as much as we do. And obviously the, the decision to, to start the game with Watmore, I, I just felt that had we started and not been able to break QPR down, it would have been perfect just to bring someone like Adam from the bench. As Jim said earlier, Manaman's probably one of our best players, but I know he's not been fit. It just doesn't feel like... It doesn't, it doesn't feel as though that Grayson's fully convinced by whatever he can bring to the side, because if he was, he'd be starting games. I know he's struggled a little for fitness and stuff, but... He's, he's very, very keen on Honeyman and keen on starting Honeyman most weeks, which I don't have a great problem with. I think there's games where, where Honeyman can be useful, especially away from home if you need somebody to work hard down the flank while maybe Oviedo gets forward. Great. But in a game like this, I mean, he really struggled, really struggled to get past the fullback. He, he struggled to do anything, really. And, and, and tactically, we were very deep. At times, it was, we were going back to front a lot, which I know you, when you're trying to get the best out of Duncan Watmore, that's what you've got to do sometimes is play the long ball and try and catch the defenders out and hope that Watmore can capitalise on it. I know that, that that's generally worked for us in the past, but it's a it's an, it's an away-from-home tactic like that, isn't it? Surely it's the, it's the type of thing you do when you're the wayside and the home team are the ones on the front foot. At home, I think you've got to try and play mm. through your opposition a little bit more and get at them, and we just don't do that enough unless we're giving the ball to McGeady. And he fashions chances out of nothing, really. I mean, he had a poor game, I thought, but I don't mind him having poor games when he scores goals like he did, did the other day. But Grayson just seems like a very confused man, at the minute. He doesn't seem to know his best team, the best way it's set up. He's very wary of us making mistakes, but the problem is he's setting us up not to make mistakes and we're doing it anyways. We're conceding goals. We're quite clearly not very good at sitting deep and defending. We need to, we need to play more on the front foot and utilise our best players, really. You've got Johnny Williams there who's... I mean, I don't know if anybody watched the Wales game last week, but their fans were singing his name start to finish. They love him. 
Palace fans love him. Ipswich fans, when he was there, they loved him. This is a quality footballer we've got. He was not championship standard. He's, he's a Premier League player. He's just suffered from injuries mm. and we can't even start him. Second from bottom in the league. I just... I know there'll be games over the course of the season that where Williams be, hopefully will become an influential player, but he doesn't seem to be able to trust him unless he's got two whole midfielders behind him. And I just don't get it because having seen Catamore all season and I think Ndong's actually suffering a bit at the minute. He's not playing anywhere near as good as we know he can. I just think when you're, you're watching these performances every week and it's crying out for somebody who's not scared to put their foot in the ball and the, and the manager's obviously very wary of doing that because he feels it leaves the defence exposed and maybe he feels that Catamore's leadership on the pitch is more important than having somebody who's going to play a forward pass. Well, I think we've passed that point now. I just think we really need to start going at teams because this bad run of form is going to continue. There was a piece on the site today. Anybody wants to read it, check it out. It's the ethics column. The guys from there who uh, who contribute a piece to the site every week. Uh, a great point was raised about how many points we actually have to amass just to stay up this season. If you look at the table last year, Blackburn went down with over 50 points. Now for us to <laughs> surpass, surpass that mark, we've got, to, we've got to achieve more than a point a game between now and the end of the season. And seeing the, I do think that the players are capable of reaching that, provided that they're taught play in a certain way that gets the best out of them. But at the minute, we're trying to play defensive football with poor defensive players and it's not it's not working. We're not getting points. I, know, I was going to say, when was the last time Sunderland scored 50 points in a fucking season? Like, <laughs> Wait, I can't all you've got to do, you do is look at how many, goal, how many games we've played. I think we've played 13 or 14 now. We're more than a quarter yeah. of the way through the season, and we're second bottom of the league. This is we're in a relegation battle. It doesn't. I know people people don't like to hear that, but we are. We're in a relegation battle. Well, that was it's our twelfth. That was our twelfth league game. Well, it's going to take like a. It's going to take a bounce of unbelievable form for us to pull ourselves away, and even just mm. be middling around the middle of the table. Because for us to get anywhere near that now, we're probably going to have to go on a run of like four, three or four wins just to pull ourselves away, and then we can maybe stabilize again. But I just don't feel Grayson has the confidence in himself or the players to to even achieve that, and that's the most worrying thing for me. And is it time we gave someone else a crack at this? I mean, I know you say this isn't this isn't an appealing job, but there's plenty of managers out there who would snap your hand off to manage Sunderland. That um, they may not be big names and they may not be established names, but I don't think that's what we need. I think established names have been and gone at Sunderland many years now and have achieved very little. The, the, if, if you if you're prepared to to back somebody who has a solid philosophy on football and who's, you know, is very enthusiastic and ambitious, then they will achieve great things. We've seen that with David Wagner at Huddersfield, the guy who was at the whole last season's doing great at Watford this year. And names that came from nowhere. And I just think if there's going to be a change of manager at Sunderland, it has to be now. And I know people won't like hearing that, but I think we've passed the point now. We've just backed the managers for the sake of it. We did this with David Moyes last year and we went down. And mm. I'm just, I'm really concerned that Grayson hasn't tactically or um, mentally got it in him to to win enough games to just even drag us away from the relegation zone. I just I don't think I, I, as much as I'd like to see a change in manager. I said before like I want to stick by him and I, and I, and I don't like sacking managers quickly because I I don't like Sunderland being the butt of every joke. But I just I do not see any manager worth his salt wanting to come here. You say that there's plenty of managers who want to come here. I don't think there is. Because everyone knows that Ellis Short's put this, the clubs up for sale. He's just half his asking price by all accounts. As soon as a new owner comes in, they're going to want to put their own stamp on it. I just, I don't think this club is going to be able to move forward with him, with him at the helm. Unfortunately, I, I just, I cannot see it being able to see the club move forward. If you're a up and coming European manager that wants to like make a name for himself, you're going to look at the Sunderland job. You're going to say they've had like six managers in the last eight years or something crazy. 
You know, they've got an owner that wants out. They've got a massive relegation hangover. You know, you can see the, the history of failure we've had over the past decade. I, I do not think any manager worth his salt will want to touch us. Unfortunately, relegation hangover. You know, we're binge drinking on relegation. That's what we're doing. <laughs> we're binging on it. I mean, yeah, some very valid points raised there by both of you. Um, first, what Gav said. Um, I agree. We don't have enough time. I don't think Grayson, even given the entire season, will be able to change anything for us. I think when the owner turned around and essentially said to everyone that the big problem we'd had had been chopping and changing managers. I mean, that was some weird rhetoric that seemed to come from the, the world of media as well. And that was like, that was just the, the, the average armchair pundit's excuse for what was wrong with Sunderland was that we chopped and changed managers too much. We didn't have enough, we didn't give anyone enough time. And then the moment we stopped doing that, the moment we stopped fighting fires, the fire essentially took hold of everything, burnt down our league position, sent us down to the to the championship, and now we've got the same mentality as if changing managers doesn't work, even though it's been proven to work like four or five times for us in the last six years. We're ignoring the evidence that that works and going, no, what really works is this is this stability idea. So we get we get Moise, we get relegated down to the championship, we get Grayson. Let's not be coy. If Grayson stays as our manager, the chances of us going to League One are very probable. I mean, he was talking about it the other day. The manager himself doesn't believe that it's too much to presume that we may be in a relegation battle come six months' time. Do you know what I mean? And the, <laughs> the last time a manager told us that we were going to be in the relegation zone, got us relegated. It, it can't be a mistake. Do you know what I mean? There's a clear and obvious pattern forming here, and that's terrifying. When you're moving on to what James was saying about um, Ellis Short, I mean, we've got some questions on Twitter as per. One of them is about, well, it's about the change of ownership. It's uh, Tom. Do we honestly think a new owner would change anything? Yes, he has to. By my logic, by my thinking, a new owner is anything. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter where they're from. doesn't matter. It, it literally doesn't matter. If they're in a position to take this club away from Ellis Short, we should be writing to them. We should be sending them flowers. The sort of things that Sunderland fans do, you know. We should put every ounce of effort we've got into getting a new owner because... Regardless of what we've been told, in spite of being told that Ellis Short will continue to invest personally and financially in the club, we've got no money because there's no investment. People keep saying, oh, he underwrites the debt. I, I, I don't care, mate. I don't care. The club's fallen to pieces. You've completely butchered it. I, I, there should be no credit given to Ellis Short whatsoever. Like, oh, I'm underwriting the debt. Who got us in all the fucking debt in the first place? Do you know what I mean? I'm so sick of hearing it. He's the bane, interestingly enough, of Sunderland. You move on to his little fucking litigator his little accountant bane who walks around firing every cunt that's fair enough that's his job you know that's 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 his bag that's what he's been told to do that's his remit can no one else see that we're suffering as a result now you can streamline the club all you like streamline the club it doesn't change anything do you know what i mean you're not providing a service to your overseas fans like almost every other club in the championship that qpr game was available for qpr fans abroad because of licensing rights, fair enough, they can't show it in this country, but they actually appreciate their expats. They appreciate their exiles. Sunderland don't do that. They can't do even the basics right. They don't treat their fans like proper fans. They don't treat them as if they're people that actually sustain the club. They just treat them like dirt. And presumably they do the same with managers. They just don't seem to care. There is very much a facelessness going on with Sunderland AFC, and it's been happening for some time now. All of this, all this bullshit, this lip service about unity is strength and 
getting your fucking getting some geezer down the mine at Beamish in the, in the away kit. You know what I mean? All of these things are they're symptomatic of whatever disease it is that's taken hold of Sunderland. I personally believe that disease is Ellis Short and the cronies that he's brought in, the yes men, the sycophants that he's brought in to support this failing role that he has. Now we say it's it's up for sale for what? The same price as his house. Fifty-seven million. Fifty-seven million pounds for a club like Sunderland. Carry on. Yeah, I'm just going to rant if you don't interrupt me. So. <laughs> it's just a lot of the a lot of the points you raised about the away shirt launch, and it was how was it a bit bit cheesy, and it was a bit close to the line, wasn't it? But all of these things wouldn't matter if the team on the pitch were decent, or at least yeah. you know showed some progress moving forward. And and I don't wholly blame Simon Grayson for this because I think you've got a manager who he's he's got a, a fan base who even given a a glimmer of hope will be extremely optimistic and will try and get behind him. But you can just imagine if I went into a job and I had to manage a team and all of the staff knew at the drop of a hat, you know, they might be out of a job, you know, the, the, the club might change ownership. You know, it's just, it's, it's not conducive to, for, for that manager to build. Um, the atmosphere in the ground on, on Saturday, I mean, I wasn't there, but on the stream, it looked pretty dire like I mean Gav you were there I don't know what you thought of it but uh, it was it was it was pretty bad man like right. I say um, <clears throat> I think the announced crowd was around 26,000 again but well, again, like 15 nah it was it was very poor it was mm. like a cup crowd um, and you, you, you notice little things when you go to the games these days like the fact it takes no time at all to walk through a turnstile um, there's no queues in the toilets. You, you you know you come out the ground at the end, and it's easy enough to get down the stairs. Just things like that. The place is devoid of any sort of enthusiasm at the minute. As soon as we go a goal down, people are keen to to boo and get on their backs and stuff. And well within their rights, I totally see why people do it. We haven't won at home since last year, and it's a pathetic uh, run of form which sees us where we are, and that's why the stadium's so empty. But that's just the way it is at the minute. It's it's not a nice place to be. I remember when the last time we were at this level and, and Niall Quinn was a manager, that last game before Roy Keane took over, there was 24,000, I think, in the stadium and we beat West Brom. And obviously from that point on, the place, the place, you know, a new manager captured the, the enthusiasm and the imagination of the fans and people really bought into what was going on. I don't foresee at any point the fans feeling the same way with Simon Grayson as manager. It just feels like for us to, to even sustain at this level, it's going to take... It's going to take another change of manager. It's just the way it is. I don't. I don't see at any point Simon Grayson and, and the way he plays his football and the manner in which he talks about things. I, I just don't foresee that ever working. Really, when, when you say the way he talks, this is something that I have a bit of an issue with. Just not not what Simon Grayson says because I feel sorry for him on this because I've looked at social media and if he says. He came out was it a week and a half ago or something saying, Oh, we can still get promotion and everyone jumps on him saying he's deluded. He says, Oh, we're in a relegation battle. Oh, he's being negative. And he cannot win. He genuinely can't mm. in this sense. Like there is there's always going to be people who call him out for for saying the wrong thing. And I, I I cannot I cannot blame him for the way he deals with the media or anything because I I think he's actually been he's been honest, he's been fairly positive since he's come in. You know, he's, when he came in, we were all like, well, we finally got a manager who wants to be here, sees it as a step up. Maybe he's just a bit, mm. maybe he is a bit limited. And also he has, I know everyone hates this, but he's got his hand, he has got one hand tied behind his back. He spent 1.1 million. You know, we brought in about 40 odd million, didn't we? So it's just, it's, you know, the bloke has been dealt a shit hand. Let's be, let's be honest. <clears throat> I think the stuff that he says gets micro analyzed because we're not winning games, really. 
And he comes out and says stuff like, we got done by a set piece, which isn't really like us. I, I, know, I, I know we're really breaking everything down, um, what he says, and, and obviously he's going to say things which seem embarrassing. I just don't think he's a great public speaker. I think he struggles in front of the press. I watch pretty much every press conference because obviously they broadcast them now. I watch pretty much every one of them now to start finishing. You can tell that he it's kind of like the, the PR person's hands on his knee while he's talking. That's, that's how it seems. It's like he's been briefed on how to talk because he, he kind of struggles, I think. And the stuff the other week after the Ipswich game about the fans and stuff, I think I think he, he, he it was taken out of context and he didn't mean what he said, but it was the fact he said it. And because we're not winning games people are going to jump all over it. That's just the way it is, I'm afraid. And I mean, more importantly, though, I mean, sitting analysing every word he says is ultimately unimportant because I do think that if we were winning games, we'd turn a blind eye to that sort of stuff because we'd be too focused on, on, on the positives, really. In the, at the minute, there are no positives. I know after the game, Grayson was... It was, it was as though he saw a different game to me when he was talking afterwards. And that, that's what I don't... Like I prefer a little. I don't. I don't mean complete honesty, but I mean I, I listened to what Aidan McGeady said in his interview, and it was very blunt. It was a case of we aren't winning games, and it has to change. With it isn't good enough. That's what I want to hear. I don't want to hear the manager telling us about how great his players were that day. When in, in fact I watched the game and I saw how poor we were, and I saw how it, it took you, you know your star signing to pull us out of the shit again. Because if he hadn't of, we'd be talking about a defeat. That's what I struggle with. I, I mean, we, we do get on his case. I think as fans too much about what he says but he doesn't help himself at all do you think what happened with David Moyes last season where you know he came out after like one game and said we're in a relegation battle do you think he's that's on his mind do you think do you think he's you know the media mistakes that David Moyes made has made him think oh shit I really need to be really positive here and I really need to try and get more all on side do you think that's it that's that's possibly on his mind you know because if he, he doesn't want to be lamented as being negative like Moyes was well, I mean, for me, I'm not entirely sure what the answer to your question would be there, really. I mean, I want to go back to a few things before I answer that. Like, you're saying he's been dealt a bad hand. Now, I appreciate that becoming a Sunderland manager now, you're essentially, when it comes to talking to the press, you're essentially painting the target on yourself. Um, I mean, Gav's saying, like, he's, he's got one hand tied behind his back by the PR people. And that that may be the case, but that's been true of every Sunderland manager. Every single Sunderland manager for years and years and years has been has had their hands tied by the PR people. That's something that you've been, that's just unavoidable. You haven't been able to not notice that in press conferences, things like that. People are always controlled what they're going to say. You know, there, there always seems to be something dodgy going on behind the scenes at Sunderland. So there's always some reason to keep quiet. And that's very, they, they like to play their cards close to their chest, which is great if you're a good poker player. But beyond that, with the idea of him being dealt a bad hand, yes and no. Yes, he did. He was dealt a bad hand in the sense that the hand he was given was hidden from him. I don't give him too much leeway with that because, like all of us, he's responsible for selecting his own, his own career path, you know, and he was presented all of the information available to him. Before he took the before he took the manager's job, I'm sure he's got plenty of friends in management. I'm sure he had the opportunity to speak to some former Sunderland managers, un- undoubtedly. And he accepted this job anyway. He'll have had the chance to speak to Bain, speak to Short, and ask how much money he's got. But here's the crux of that, right? Here's where it all starts to come together, and it all sounds a bit weird because we get this. Grayson's been dealt a bad hand. We've got no money. Everyone knew that was the case. That's all very well and good, except for the one sentence. When Grayson was asked how much money he would have to spend, he said a mid-level championship budget. 
Now, mid-level championship budget isn't 1.1 million. I looked at the average paid out by championship clubs this season in this window, and the average is about 12 to 14 million. Now, this means one of two things. This means that either Simon Grayson was lied to, or it means that he's lying. It can't mean anything else. There are no other alternatives to this. It's not like, oh yeah, I thought I had 13 million in my wallet, but I must have lost 12 million. So, you know, just deal with that, Simon. It, it doesn't work like that. It's like you've either got the money or you haven't got the money. So someone either told him, 100%, you're going to have the money to work with this club. Even It's not going to be a lot, but it's going to be enough for you to do what you're going to need to do. And he's gone, right, yeah, sweet, I can do it then. In spite of all of his issues with public speaking and things like that, it wouldn't matter so much. As, you was, as everyone's saying, it wouldn't matter if, he, if it was all positive on the pitch. If there were positives to take elsewhere, we wouldn't analyse everything he says quite so much. I mean, we would still, because that's part of what we do at Rogue Report, but we wouldn't be so, as fans, upset about the the ineptitude that he seems to have when it comes to talking to the press. The only way you can make people believe in you, I mean, a lot of managers aren't orators, you know what I mean? They're not silver-tongued public speakers. A lot of them are just, they're ex-footballers, and so a lot of them will sound either stupid or just generally numb in front of a camera, not particularly articulate. That's fine, that's acceptable. And the fact of the matter is, when you're displaying what you mean, when you're evidencing what you're saying on the pitch, i.e. when you say, I believe we can do this, if we see the players actually do it, then you believe them, don't you? So it's not like, I, I don't feel like he's being torn apart, basically. I don't feel like he's being attacked. And I don't feel like he was dealt a bad hand. I felt like he picked his own hand. And that's what concerns me about feeling sorry for him or giving him any kind of sympathy in this role. Like, yeah, ball position for some managers to be in. No one wants to take shit from every Sunderland fan in the world. However, that is his job. You know, that is a job he signed up to do. And every single man, it doesn't matter who it is, could be me, you know what I mean? Could be, if Ferguson could come out of retirement and some for some reason manage Sunderland, God, I can dream Ghana, and he would still be analysed. He would still be blamed for all of this shit that goes up. That's just what it's like. That's it's, it's the way, it's the place the club's at right now. I think we need to look a lot more at those lies that were told, essentially. I think we need to, a lot more blame needs to go towards Bain and Short because, as I say, either Grayson is a liar, which I don't believe he is. He doesn't strike me as a liar. He strikes me as somebody that's been lied to and he's trying to act like he knew what he was getting himself in for. He won't be the first one, would he? No, exactly. wouldn't be the first one. Won't, won't be the last one from the sounds of it. But yeah, I, th- I think he he didn't quite know what he was getting into and I do feel sorry for him in that regard. But no, when it comes to actually analysing what he does, analysing his tactics, what he says, no, you, you let yourself in for this. You know what I mean? You painted that target on your chest. So, yeah, I, I think I thought he had actually had a decent transfer window by all accounts. You look yeah, at, technically he did, didn't he? Because yeah, you're thinking um, McGeady, McManaman, uh, Williams, as we've said, all good players. Yeah, Graven's a decent player. Bought in some decent yeah. footballers for a very, very low budget. And I thought, well, that's pretty hellish, actually. He managed to get that much out, squeezing that much yeah. out of that tinier budget. The problem is, and God mentioned it earlier, you don't need to play two holder midfielders at home. And, and that just shows how much faith he has in the back, in the centre-half pairing. Because... He's looking at that match and he's. we need to win. He knows we need to be beating QPR at home. But because of that budget, he's forced to play Billy Jones at centre-half. So he's thinking, well, we need to hold the midfielders because, you know, we're, we're piss poor at the back. Whether he can get more out of the defensive resources he has. Because, I, I mean, he was he was billed at this guy who keeps his keeps teams very organised, you know, don't concede many goals. Um, that's That certainly hasn't materialised. You know, we've been we've been taken apart a few times. And as I said, in the second mm. half, 
off at times on Saturday, we look completely at sea. Where is Kone? What happened with that? That was a virus, wasn't it, supposedly? Mm, virus. Yeah, Corny had a virus. That, that was and, the rumour. Yeah, Corny a virus and Browning picked up a groin strain or something, I think. Probably none of them want to play in front of that home crowd at the minute because we're no. all being for blood. like it's And, and rightly so. It's, it's just ridiculous, the situation we've got ourselves into. I mean, I don't ever remember our home form being this bad. I'm sure somebody will point us out eventually. Um, mm. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that in my lifetime, we've never had home form this bad. But we've never even led I don't in know, the we game. Get, we're getting to record-breaking moments now, I think. We've, we're already breaking records with this this run. I, thought, I wouldn't be surprised if this turns out to be one of the worst seasons we've ever had. That wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, how many points have we got now? Eight. We've got eight points. Eight. We can't have eight points, can we? Yeah, we're on eight. Christ, <laughs> have we drawn four times? Or five times? Shit. That's not bad, actually. <laughs> Everything's optimistic again. No, so going back to the questions um, on Twitter, because we haven't got long for you. It's a shorter episode today. Uh, Matthew Foster, should we do an Allardyce and respect the point and see if they can push on, or should we expect more from this group of players and manager? I suppose we've sort of covered some of this already, but one particular point of that, respecting the point, doing an Allardyce and respecting the point, Absolutely, you should respect a point against QPR. I think. I, I, I think if we'd won all of our other games, and or most of our other games, or even if that was stolen away from us, those three points, you know, because it, it wasn't really stolen from us. It was like it was more like we managed to steal one from them. Yeah, I think then we respect the point a lot more. But no, as as fans, I mean, just like James said, the players that that Grayson brought in were actually quite decent. Even in spite of not having any money, I suppose that's a plus. That's a, that's something that should stand for him to his credit. But what's the use in having these decent players if you then, with the other players that you've got, you play them out of position or not at all? You know, so it's fine having McGeady who can muster up a bit of talent and bang one in from twenty-five yards out. That's fantastic. But if you haven't got the rest of a team that can actually hold on to that, or rather, if it was the lead, hold on to it, or push on from that then it's completely pointless you know you it, it's all very well and good having two or three good players but they won't be enough and then so by that logic you're thinking well if that's what he's done in the summer transfer window what could he do in the january transfer window but you're like hang on a minute there's there was no money in the summer transfer window how on earth is he going to get any money in january i think we're more likely i know no one's actually asked about transfers but since i'm talking about it i think we're far more likely to see outgoings in January than we are incomings and that's a concern for me I mean we'll probably have to bring in players but when it comes to signing the likes of McGeady McManaman names who at least we turn around and said oh well we've looked at those a few times in the last few years like they've got a bit of talent I'd be very surprised to see anyone of any real worth come to us I mean we might get lucky with a loan or something like that you know sometimes Larger clubs, bigger clubs, see clubs like ours at the moment struggling in the championship. A great opportunity for some proper hardcore game time, really, for some good young players. But again, come the January transfer window, I imagine most of them will already be out on seasonal loans anyway. Yes, the answer to the question, we should expect more. Basically, is the answer to that question. I would like to say that we could expect more, but we simply can't. That's the trouble. The difference between wanting something and actually receiving it, you know, deserving a better performance, a better manager, a better club, and actually getting a better performance manager in a club. It's huge. It's a chasm. There's there's no opportunity for us to actually improve, I don't believe, this season. I don't know about you guys, but I cannot see any improvement coming out of it. I think the best we can hope for is maybe five or six of the players that we've got, good players, you know, talking about like Watmore, McGeady, Grabham, McManaman, Wilson, William, not Wilson, Williams. 
it's a difficult one. It's a very difficult one to to really quantify this situation. Um, so we'll move on to some more questions. What else have we got? Patrick J. Gottlieb. Can you see any other players bar McGeady creating goals for us this season? What's that? What do you reckon, Gav? That, that's a valid question. Like, But I mean, mm. <clears throat> until we start seeing what McManaman's capable of, I, I don't know whether we can properly answer that question because we we actually do have some half-decent attacking players and they just don't seem to be on the same pitch at the same time. If you, if you can imagine what a, a McGeady, Watmore, Williams and McManaman front four would be capable of, then yeah, I think so. But the problem is that they're not getting on the pitch at the same time. Mm. He seems to have a lot of faith in James Vaughan, although I say that, he came off at half-time, didn't he? So maybe mm. that's the the straw that broke the camel's back effectively that, that, that first half with Vaughan because he did absolutely nothing. Never got himself into one decent attacking position. Maybe we'll, we'll start to see a little bit of change there now going forward, but I just think it goes back to what I said before. I think when you're playing two hold midfielders and, you, and you've got a very defensive manager, you are going to stifle the creative players. We saw it with, with Martin O'Neill as manager. It, it was the same with him. He, he, he preferred his teams to sit deep and defend, but that's all well and good. But when you've got good attacking players you're wasting their abilities really and for me I just think I just think that the, the, the one positive if there's any positive to come out of the last two performances really is that we do have a player like McGeady um, we have semi-decent players like Watmore like McManaman who, who are going to come back into the team coming up and it's more a case of can we get them all on the pitch and has the manager got the bottle really to drop a player like Lee Catamore who's not playing well who's detrimental to the way our team sets up has he got the bottle to do that yeah. and actually go for it in the game because Brentford now is a huge match we need to win we can't we can't keep going at these games and coming away with the point and pretend it's alright but we are seeing a gap forming at the bottom we're now on 8 points and ahead of us are Barnsley and Redden 4 points ahead with a game in hand that's worrying because Barnsley are a team you'd expect uh, to struggle then you look further up the table you've got the likes of Millwall on 13 Forrest who scraped Staying up last season on fifteen, these are teams who have beat us. There's there's a real gap sort of form, mm. um, and the next two games we have to be targeting six points. We can't be sat here in a, in a fortnight talking about how we haven't won a game again because if we are, it really is the time to change the manager. And I just I don't foresee it happening. I think there's a lot of faith there in him to, to turn around in the same way that they gave Moisley. We I think and just if we're going to try and be positive it's, it's the fact that we have some decent attacking players and we have to get them all on the pitch together otherwise we're starting to see a gap form and it's worrying um, I, I just hope we're talking about a win this time next week I, I've said it loads of times to loads of people I'm sick of talking about how crap we are I'm sick of us writing stuff about how crap we are on the site it's just but what else is it talk about really we, things are at a real dire stage with something and the sooner we, we actually man up and front our mistakes and and, and actually accept the position we're in and, and the manager turns around and says right we have to we have to sort this out the only way I'm going to do it is by playing a, a more attacking brand of football to try and break teams down until he does that nothing's going to change but I mean Brentford mm. aren't that far ahead of us and that's that's a real big game especially with, with Bolton winning at the weekend they beat a good side at the weekend the, there's teams around us now starting to pick points up Birmingham's another we have to it, it has to be us we are better than where we are we know we are. We just we need uh, just a, a real lucky result. I think something where we come away one 0 we scrape it, but it'll do the confidence of the world a good. If we can do that, then I do see us turn the corner eventually. But the more and more we talk about it, the more the more difficult it's getting to, to actually put a positive spin on how things are going for some. And just hope, like I say, a week from now we're, we're talking about a win. Yeah, I mean me personally, I, I can't see it myself. But um, I think even if we do get a win, as you say, like even if we scrape a one 0 win or something like that, I think it'll just be false confidence. You know, I think we'll we'll see essentially what what happened with Crystal Palace last year. 
and we won't have turned the corner at all or anything like that. That's my concern. My concern is that we'll get three points and, you know what I mean, we'll have a week of optimism then it'll be shot down again. So on that lovely note, we'll, uh, that's all we've got time for today. We'll be back next week to, well, with the results of that. You'll find out if Gav's depressed or happy. We'll see. Um, and whether it's false or not, it depends. We've got Brentford coming up, I believe. Yeah, all there is to do is look forward to it, I suppose. We can't hope for anything other than a little bit more cohesion from the training ground and hopefully the defence sort themselves out. I think that's the crucial point as well, isn't it? So regardless of how attacking our forward line is, our defenders and they just hemorrhage goals and that's the the big worry for me i think all over the pitch we need work but we'll see we'll see yeah thanks for joining us thanks for listening don't forget you can subscribe to us on acast itunes uh you can subscribe to us on youtube as well follow us on rokerreport.com and yeah signing off It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.